of this congregation. I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, Lawrence has already pointed out to us that in our first three doctrines, we've really been talking about um, God as our Father and Creator, about Jesus Christ as God's Son. And today we have a chance um, to look at the question, who is the Holy Spirit? If we can just bring up our next slide. Um, I was saying to Parissa this week that it's rare to be able to have an opportunity to just talk about the Holy Spirit um, throughout a whole sermon. We'll hear the Spirit mentioned um, within passages and in other teaching, but I'm really grateful to be able to talk about the Holy Spirit because um, just like God the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical um, to our faith and our salvation. And so I wanted to actually spend some time doing something a little bit unusual. I, I want to put this doctrine in kind of a cultural context, um, because if we can just bring up our next slide. Um, forgive me, um, I'm, my previous form of study was sociology, and I loved graphs and statistics and that kind of weird stuff. And this is all looks very complicated, but I just wanted us to think a little bit about the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit in a spiritual age. And... Um, since the, the, the 2016 census um, has come out, I keep on hearing um, on different television and radio programs and seeing printed in the newspaper this very false um, interpretation of statistics that, that now the greatest um, religion or belief system in Australia is, is atheism and people are giving up on, on faith. And there is some truth to this, but... Um, what this graph has tried to do is to, to really break this down, because when the census is done, it just asks a simple question. Um, do you identify with a particular religion, and if so, which one? Or you can now tick no religion, and those are the only two choices. And so it is true that you get this kind of roughly 50-50 split. But there have been a lot of other researchers who've done more in-depth studies and ask more questions. And I just wanted us to think about this. First of all, that kind of that green area represents Christianity, and you can see it's roughly 45% of the people um, in Australia tick that box. Now, it would be really unusual. That's about 50%. If I told you every other person you talk to on the street is a Christian, right? That's, that's not your experience, but that's what the statistics show. Um, but what uh, other researchers have tried to do is to break that down further. And so if you can see on the outer ring, 15% um, of those people who tick um, Christianity as a religion go to church around once a month. And then there's 7% who would call themselves regular practicers of, of Christianity. They, they go to church, they read their Bible and all of that. And so most of the studies I have read have said, you know, probably it's more around the the 10% mark that would believe a lot of the same things that many of you would believe about faith and practice it in the way that many of you here would do. Those other people, those other, you know, 40%, let's say, uh, would have a whole collection of spiritual beliefs. They might believe in heaven, but they also might believe in reincarnation. They might believe in, you know, angels, but they might have a very different view of angels than you. So the, it, Christianity just has this vast array of spiritual beliefs. But the same is true when you kind of go into that other realm. First of all, the other religions would say that the, the same thing is true. For a lot of Muslims who live in Australia, they may have never read the Quran. And the, it's a minority of every religion that actually knows what their religion teaches from beginning to end. But this sort of no religion category, um, even amongst those people, atheism is the thin end of the wedge. Um, 
statistics are hard to get, but it's probably less than 5% of the nation that are hardcore atheists, which means they would believe in absolutely no God. They don't believe in a human soul. They don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in anything spiritual, and that's a very small percentage. The other people would say, I don't have a religion, but I still have spiritual beliefs. And there's even that category, I'm spiritual but not religious. So these people might say, well, I practice yoga or transcendental meditation, but it's not really a religion. So all of that is just to say that Australia is still a very spiritual country, but what people believe spiritually is, is vastly, vastly different. And I wanted to make it clear from the outset that the Holy Spirit is not just the one who inspires spirituality inside of all of these different people. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who is there to talk to us about everything that God has revealed in the Bible, everything that Christ has taught us. The Holy Spirit is on about the same thing. So I wanted to go on to the next few um, slides to talk about who the Holy Spirit is not, because I think that that's almost as important as who the Holy Spirit is. So first of all, the Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal force sent from God. And some of the, I've mentioned some of the, the Christian cults that will turn up at your door and say, oh, we're a lot like you, but we believe some different things. Um, one of the hallmarks is that they say the Holy Spirit is not a person. Um, the Holy Spirit is just a force. And one of the things they'll do is they'll pull out of the Bible a whole bunch of different references where the Holy Spirit is spoken about as wind or spoken about as breath or spoken about like the oil of anointing or, you know, the hand of God or whatever. But God himself is described in these ways in the Bible as well. It's what we call the use of a metaphor or a symbol. It's, these things can be helpful descriptions but the Bible's not saying the Holy Spirit are, you know, is all of these things, and the Holy Spirit is spoken of very personally. He's talked about as a, as a he, as a person. And so he's not an impersonal force. So if we can go to the next slide. Um, Holy Spirit is not the wild child of the Trinity. And during my lifetime and even before, there was this big resurgence of what they call the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement. And I'm not here to, to pay out on the Pentecostal charismatic movement because it did a lot of good. I mean, bringing the Holy Spirit back to the forefront in churches that just had forgotten about it, that there, there has been some real good. But sometimes when you turn on the telly and you can see these crazy things going on and people being filled with the Holy Spirit, and doing things that make them look like they're drunk, or the same things that you sometimes see in, in voodoo ceremonies, or even when people were demon-possessed in the Bible, that's what you would see, you know, these kind of convulsing and uncontrollable behavior, where the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit gives you self-control. And so I think sometimes people are a little bit afraid, and they think, oh, you know, if I have the Holy Spirit in my life, does that mean that I'm going to be running around mad and all of that kind of stuff? Well, you don't see that behavior in the Bible associated with the Holy Spirit. Those things have come in through, through another realm. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He, if, if you can imagine Jesus doing something, then you can imagine the Holy Spirit doing something. If Jesus didn't do it, then, then it's not what the Holy Spirit is on about either. So he is not this wild, charismatic, unpredictable force. And then finally, there's another really strange belief, and I have heard it probably mentioned in almost every church I've ever been at, that the Holy Spirit is a New Testament phenomenon. That in the, in the Old Testament, no one ever heard of the Holy Spirit. 
And every time I hear it, I'll go up to the person and say, just out of curiosity, where did you get that belief? And they always say, oh, I don't know, but, um, but I just always thought that was true. It's not true. <laughs> the Holy Spirit um, is mentioned throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, and I'll give you a couple of examples, but I've, I found this um, just on the internet, and I read through it to make sure. But, but these are just some of the references um, to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I actually think that what happened is in Acts chapter 19, when the gospel was going out for the first time, there's a passage that said that some of the Gentile believers who ha had come out of pagan backgrounds, not Jewish backgrounds, heard about Jesus and started trying to follow his teaching. But when the apostles finally caught up to them and said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, oh, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, which makes sense because they were people from a pagan, non-Jewish background. And I think people take that verse and say, well, that must have been true for everyone. But it, it's not true. The Holy Spirit is mentioned from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. And if you were a, a Jewish person who went to synagogue and all that, you knew about the Holy Spirit. So if we can just go, um, we'll do a quick, brief trace of, through the Holy Spirit, if we can go to our next slide, um, in the Old Testament and the New. And by the way, just a reminder, we'll have Q&A time, so if you want to text those through, you can. Right from the beginning of Genesis, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Just before the, the first act of creation, that hovering does give that picture of a bird, you know, when the birds are hovering overhead, looking at the earth, they're getting ready to, to land and to do something. And so here is a poetic way of talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit was there, and this Holy Spirit was active from the beginning of creation. If we can go to our next slide, the Holy Spirit was very active in um, the creation of humanity. We, in that previous slide, we had that mention of wind and breath. The Hebrew word for breath is actually the same word for spirit. So when we're told that God breathed into humanity the breath of life, what that is saying is that he breathed into the, him their own spirit, that human beings gained their image and gained their life through the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that when in the New Testament, when we start talking about being born again and be, being given new life in Christ, this is a new work of the Holy Spirit. But it was a spirit who gave humans life at the very beginning. So chapter 1, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is already there. If we go to our next slide. And then um, Peter, and again, this is a New Testament quote, but um, he mentions all of the prophets. He says, no prophecy was ever given um, by the will of people, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, the word inspired, um, actually means inspirited. So it was God's Spirit who spoke to the prophets, who spoke to the apostles, and we have the scriptures that you've just heard read because the Holy Spirit, all scripture is God-breathed. It's all scripture is inspired by the Spirit of God. That's why the, spirits were able to, uh, the, the prophets were able to speak. That's why their words were written down. That's why we follow them today, because prophecy existed through the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please. Um, now when we move into the New Testament, we see um, at, at Jesus' baptism. I mean, we were already told that Mary conceived Jesus um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
But now, just prior to Jesus beginning his um, earthly ministry, um, as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Isn't it interesting that the beginning of creation, the Spirit was hovering overhead, and now at Jesus' baptism, when something new is to happen, the Spirit descends and actually physically lands on Jesus so that people can see this is the one who is given the Holy Spirit. And so here is that wonderful place where you have a picture of the Trinity, the voice of God the Father speaking and saying of his Son who's coming up out of the water, this is my Son, and the Holy Spirit um, coming down from heaven. And if we just go to our next slide, we discover um, that then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, this happens just after the baptism, Full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this is going to begin the temptation which he passes. And then straight after that, we're told how he returns full of the Spirit and begins doing these amazing miracles. Um, from John 3, Jesus says, oh, sorry, just go back. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for, the, for God gives the Spirit without limit. If you want to know one of the ways in which Jesus was different from myself and all of you, God gives us gifts of the Spirit, um, and we are different members of the body, and we'll talk about this later, and God empowers each of us to do different things, but Jesus is given the Spirit without measure. In other words, everything that the church of these people and millions and billions can do today, um, Christ had the full power of God because he was given, he was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. But the Holy Spirit guided him and empowered him in his ministry in the same way that as people we need to be guided by the Spirit today. Next slide. And so then we come to our, our readings. And this is now Jesus getting ready to leave his disciples after his, his earthly ministry is finished. And he begins to speak to them about the Holy Spirit. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive um, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It sounds a little bit complicated, but here's basically what's happening. And by the way, if you want to read about this, read from John 14 all the way through John 17. You're going to get the best theology and the best teaching of the Holy Spirit that you'll ever get. So read those three chapters and you'll get a really good, thorough teaching um, on, on what the Spirit is about. But here's the idea. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples. He's been physically present with them all this time. They're grieving and saying, you're leaving us. And he actually says, this is for your good. Because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. you know, one of the things that's amazing about the Holy Spirit, you think, how can it be good that Jesus goes away and he sends the Spirit? Now the Holy Spirit will be with you always. Sometimes Jesus was someplace else and the disciples were over here. And where was Jesus to talk to? Who was going to tell them, oh, what am I meant to say here? Who was going to guide them? He says, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will always be with you. And this is one of the benefits of the Holy Spirit. Although Christ isn't presently with us, yes, he is. He's not physically presently with us, but yes, he is spiritually present. And what he's teaching here is that 
God sent me into the world, and God gave me his Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Spirit, I have done these things, and I have taught you, and I have shown you these things. Now, I'm going to go back to the Father, and I'm going to send you the same Spirit that lived in me. And so, I will be with the Father, and the same Spirit that the Father gave me, I'm going to give to you, and we will be one. The same, if you are a believer, the same Spirit who is living in you is the same Spirit sent from the Father and the Son. And so even though he is there and we are here, we are together. And we'll talk a little bit about this more. But this is an incredibly profound teaching, and we don't talk about it enough. Next slide, please. So we're going to now just talk briefly about the work of the Holy Spirit. And the first work is what we call being reborn, or it's sometimes called the work of regeneration. In the same way that God's Spirit needed to be there to give us life in the first place, um, through sin we're told that we are spiritually dead. But through the Holy Spirit, we are reborn. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, wind and spirit, the same thing. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, if you're wondering, why is it that I have come to believe in Jesus, but my family and my friends, they, they don't believe yet, it's because it's the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up blind eyes to see who Jesus is. It's the Holy Spirit who leads and who guides. If you are a believer in Christ, you're a believer because God's Holy Spirit has convicted you and led you to repentance and is moving you and pushing you along to become more like Christ. It's not a physical thing. You didn't become a Christian because you read in a book somewhere that here are ten things Jesus wants you to do and you're trying to do them. You're you're a believer because you're born again. And the same Spirit who lived in Christ now lives in you. You have been born by water and the Spirit. Next slide. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who is making us new. It's the Spirit who is helping us to become like Christ because the Spirit who lives in us is the same Spirit who lived in Christ. Next slide. Just wanted to point out, because we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and uh, we probably don't recite this enough, but the last part of the, the Creed, and we'll spend more time talking about this next week when we look at the Church, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church, which we'll talk about more next week, literally means the whole universal Church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That might sound like a whole bunch of different doctrines, But all that's saying, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The stuff that's below there, the bringing together as a church of his body, um, the fellowship that we have, we have through the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness by the washing of rebirth and renewal comes through the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will raise us from the dead, the life everlasting because the Holy Spirit is the eternal Spirit of God. He will give us eternal life. All of these things are related to the Holy Spirit.
Next slide, please. It's the Holy Spirit then who continues to teach and guide us. So this goes back to John 14, which I've told you to go back and read on your own. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Uh, next week, again, we'll look at the Revelation 2. Whoever has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Um, hopefully, if we're a good Bible-teaching church, and we're being faithful, it's because God's Spirit is leading teachers to teach the Scriptures faithfully and giving you ears and minds to hear and understand. And together as a congregation, we say, we want to follow Jesus. And that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please. And worship. The Spirit guides us in worship and in prayer. Romans 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the, very, but the Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows um, what is in the mind, uh, what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I was having a conversation with someone recently who was asking about silent prayer and how is it that Christians can pray without having to speak words and I said use this passage because God already knows what's in your mind before you pray God already knows what's in your heart before you pray and if we realize this we would become better prayers because we would spend less time explaining to God what we're thinking and feeling and all of that and we'd spend more time saying God you already know the confusion in my mind, the anxiety in my heart. You already know what's going on. I'm feeling convicted and I'm feeling disturbed because your spirit is working in me. What do you want me to do? I need your help. Um, and allowing God's spirit to guide us rather than just using him as just a counselor to offload on. But understanding, he already knows it. In fact, he's already taking those thoughts and those things, even the word, things that you can't put into words, and he's already carrying them up to the Father on your behalf. And God already knows what you need. He's just trying to bring your spirit and his spirit into alignment with each other. And this is the work of the spirit. And by the way, when we worship, the same spirit who lives in us longs for God and longs for Christ. And so when we open our mouths to sing, it is the spirit who inspires us to, to call out, um, again, when we look at the church next week, uh, this beautiful verse that says, the spirit and the bride, the spirit and the church say, come Lord Jesus, we want to be together. The spirit cries out because it longs to be united with father and son and spirit, and it longs to unite us. And so there is this spiritual worship. We can't truly worship without the Holy Spirit. Next slide. And then... One of my favorite doctrines, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, if you want to know why your faith is secure, um, we talk about having faith in Christ, but the Bible always also talks about the fact that if you are a believer, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in God. You know why? Because... God the Father is in heaven. He sent his son into the world so that you could know him. 
God gave the Son the Holy Spirit, and the Son gave you the same Holy Spirit. Then Jesus went back up to heaven on your behalf where you will be. He gave you the Spirit that lived in him. He sits next to the Father, and he says to the Father, these people are mine, and they're mine because they have the same Spirit that you gave to me, and I have given to them. Christ has already been deposited in you, but because you have the same spirit that lives in Christ, you are also in Christ. We, we are already there. You understand that? Your spirit is already there with Christ. You're already a citizen of heaven. He is there on your behalf, and you share the same Holy Spirit. The relationship with the he that he has with the Father is already yours. You've been stamped. You've been sealed. And the Holy Spirit is that stamp and that seal. And the Holy Spirit empowers our gospel mission. And we'll talk more about this um, next week. But go there, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Acts, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Final slide, and I'm going to do this quickly so we'll have a few <laughs> minutes for some questions. Um, what's the response we should have to this? Walk in the Spirit. Um, we need to learn to be people who don't just think, I need to do my quiet time and my reading. I need to do my prayer time so that I can tick that off my list because these are the things that Christians do. The point of our faith is that we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. Worship, pray, learn, grow through the Holy Spirit because God has given us that power. We have a chance to sing in the Spirit now before our Q&A time, um, so we'll bring our music team up and we'll have a bit of Q&A.